everybody. Uh, welcome into this 10th edition of my podcast, Sporting Soul. Uh, I'm Patrick Andrus, and this is our yeah, this is our 10th episode. Uh, we're doing this every week, having a lot of fun talking with friends about sports and the world of sports. And this week, it's a uh, pleasure to have on here a colleague of mine at Diamond Digest, the baseball site I write for, I uh, contribute to. And I'd like to welcome in. He is a rising junior in New at New Paltz High School in New York, and an avid New York sports fan, a tortured New York sports fan, you might say. Uh, <laughs> uh, Adam Koplik, uh, welcome. Thank you for having me, Patrick. Oh, thanks for coming on. So it is nine forty-six Eastern Time, July fifth. So that means we are now. What, five days, three hours, 46 minutes in the free agency, and we the, arguably the best free agent out there in basketball uh, still doesn't have a home. But uh, obviously, uh, you're, you're a big Knicks fan, and uh, this offseason was probably not particularly easy for you to say the least. Uh, yeah, you could say it was a little rough. <laughs> I, I just want to know your initial reaction when uh, the – well, well, first, when the, the buzz – well, I, I, I would like to know the three stages of Adam. First, when the KD-Kyrie rumors started back in, like, whatever, December, January. Then when uh, the rumor started that Kyrie was going to the Nets. And, and then uh, when it actually happened that both KD and Kyrie wound up in Brooklyn. Take me through your uh, process of thought this year. Well, um, back when the rumors really first started, I was a little skeptical because I'm a Knicks fan and nothing good ever happens for the Knicks. Naturally, naturally. But um, I was excited. Like I was really excited for the summer. I really thought that the Knicks had a shot, especially all the K- – I mean, Kyrie I was always not 100% sure about. But all the KD to the Knicks stuff was really big. Like, I really thought that yeah. he wanted to be a Nick, and yeah. I, I, I really, honestly, I still think that he wanted to go to the Knicks. I just think that it was kind of once he went down with an injury, it was harder to convince Kyrie to, to come to the Knicks, and because Kyrie doesn't want to play with any scrubs. But yeah, um, but going back to the question, once. It was really before the even the Kyrie injury. I mean, the Kyrie to the Nets rumors. It was really for me when KD went down with the injury that I was that I just I like I just was deflated once that happened. I really like entering that game. I thought there was a really good shot of him coming to the Knicks, and once that injury went down, I knew. I just knew that it that something was going to happen. It wasn't going to come to fruition. And then obviously the Kyrie to the Nets rumors start, and then I start thinking like, are are the two of those guys seriously going to go to the Nets? Like they can go to twenty eight other teams, just please not the Nets. And then naturally, they go to the Nets, and um, you know it was really when KD said he was announcing on the boardroom on Instagram, I. I thought it was the Nets because I knew there's no way he was going to go through all this and then just go back to Golden State because that made no yeah. sense. Yeah, I knew I knew he was leaving when he did that. Yeah, but I but 
you know, a small part of me was still like, it could be the Knicks. It could be the Knicks. <laughs> I even tried. I, I, what were you saying? I thought, I thought right up until, right up until they said it was the Nets, I thought it would be the Knicks. I got to be honest. You're, you're all over Twitter saying, predicting the Knicks and giving me all this false hope. So I blame you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I apologize for my role in a, in the grief. In the, yes, the seven stages of Coplic <laughs> grief. Yeah, it was really – it was definitely rough because, you know, I just see – and all this, like, the Nets are gaining confidence. I started trying to say that, like, Mark Stein isn't reliable, which he is very reliable. I just tried – I just started trying to convince myself that there's still a shot. And then once Woj tweeted it, I was like – I was just oh. – and I didn't think I'd be this upset. I I really didn't think it was gonna happen. I didn't think he was coming to the Knicks once the whole like once as it dwindled down. I thought it was a very slim chance of him coming to the Knicks. But I, and I didn't realize how upset I would be. I was just heartbroken because all of this hope that Knicks fans have had for this year, and you know, we actually have a shot. Like we can actually be a really we can be we can real bring a championship to the city that New York, not Brooklyn, New York is the, is the capital of basketball. Like Harlem is the Mecca of basketball, but they've always been so bad. So I thought there was finally a shot. And then for them to not, to come to New York, but come to Brooklyn, just, it it was just awful. Yeah. I think it was a, I think Ryan Rossillo compared it to, it it shocked him. He compared it to, if you're a star baseball player and you're a free agent, you're looking, to, you're not looking toward the Mets, but uh, I think that the Nets, they built this kind of infrastructure over the years. They rebounded. It's really incredible how they rebounded from the Pierce Garnett debacle. And uh, obviously uh, the Dolan uh, kind of charade is well-documented, but I'm, I'm with you. I think that the injury changed a lot of, like I bet that changed uh, Katie's kind of thought process and it, it kind of steered him more toward Brooklyn. Go ahead. Yeah. I think it was, I, I don't even know, like, even as it was winding down, I, I forget who the report was, but one report came out a couple of days ago that said that Katie and Kawhi did talk about teaming up, but Kawhi wanted to be in LA and Katie wanted to be with the Knicks. So like, even as it went down, uh, I really do think that KD wanted to be a Nick, but with him out for next season, it was impossible to convince Kyrie to because Kyrie wanted to be a net. So it was, I think, if KD was healthy, it would have been so much easier to convince Kyrie to come to the Knicks. But if you're Kyrie, you're not. You have to spend a year on this team. So and you're looking at the Knicks roster and you look at the Nets roster. And the Nets have a team – I mean, I don't think they'll be that much better than last year because they didn't make that many changes besides Kyrie and D'Lo and adding DeAndre Jordan. But they'll still yeah. be a really good team this year. They'll be a playoff team and probably like a top-five seed in the East. If you look at the Knicks roster, even with Kyrie, that, that team's not contending yeah. unless you add KD no. to it. So I think it was just really hard to convince Kyrie to come without KD. Um. But yeah, it was just heartbroken, yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, I can I I can see that. It's kind of like 
like first, like the the Knicks, it seems like they're always clearing cap space for someone. And now they say they're clearing cap space for Giannis. They've set up all these deals. So they're two years. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I did hear somebody say that uh, they like the way the Knicks are kind of going about like their deal. They kind of like their deals with like Randall and all those guys that, because they're kind of, following the net blueprint of developing young talent uh, alongside uh, kind of alongside uh, these veteran guys. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with that because uh, if you look like over the last 20 years, the Knicks have been just this abysmal franchise with a store, a store, not, uh, not storied a history of just losing and losing and losing, but it really wasn't until Phil Jackson left that they acknowledge that they need to rebuild. And obviously we all hoped, or all Knicks fans hoped that the rebuild would have been quick because it would be Katie and Kyrie were coming this summer, but they didn't. So the plan B that to shift focus to getting young guys like Julius Randle and getting um, just good veterans to round out the team and just to make the, give the Knicks a respectable record. Just make, make the team not something that everyone laughs at. Give us 30-something wins or so. And just go into a rebuild process and just try to come back in two years in that free agency as a respectable team and someone that actually the players actually want to play for with a good young core so Knicks, point, Knicks fans can be disappointed again after they don't get any more free agents. <laughs> yes, and the, the vicious cycle continues. So yeah. – um, well, I, I'm just curious, like where you live, what's the ratio of Knicks to Nets fans? I'm just, just out of curiosity. Um, it's most, I, I really, I, I, when I think about it, just about all my friends are Knicks fans. I can't think of a Nets fan in my school or anything. Like it's very, huh. that's I, interesting. Most places I go, it's mostly Knicks fans. I think Nets fans now, now I'm sure kids in my school will go to the Nets because <laughs> There aren't that many fans like me in my school about the Knicks because who would want to be a fan like me about the Knicks? <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, it really is. The Knicks are New York's team, and they, they will be New York's team even if the Nets – the Nets are going to be a championship contender. They may win a championship. But it will always be the Knicks as the ones talked about, and Nets fans shouldn't really care about that because they're going to have a championship. But even it's just the Knicks in New York will always be the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel I feel like that the Knicks will always kind of have this special place in New York lore, and we'll get to that later on. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, of the four kind of inter-New York rivalries of uh, Yankees and Mets, uh, Knicks and Nets, uh, Rangers, Islanders, Giants, Jets. Is uh, Knicks Nets now the hottest rivalry, what kind of between New York teams? Yeah, that's a good question because when I look at that, I don't think Rangers, Islanders that deep of a rivalry. Even Giants, Jets, just because they never play each other is not that deep. So I yeah. probably would say that because even like, also Yankees, Mets, the Yankees will always just be the better team or right now and right now they're a lot better so it's not really that big of a rivalry so yeah I would say Knicks Nets is the deepest 
But if you asked me that a year ago, I would have definitely not said Knicks Nets because that was really not a that was really not a rivalry. Like they, they, it was just kind of I did not care about the Nets before this year. Now I do not like the Nets. It's kind of it's kind of interesting because it it's sort of kind of just looking back. I mean, the Nets were in New Jersey for all those years, and they kind of were more kind. They were kind of like geographically. They were a little bit – they kind of – the Sixers were kind of more of a rival than uh, the Knicks were, it seems like. But now it's completely different, and the Nets have established themselves in New York, it seems like. So uh, kind of segueing off of the Knicks and Nets interplay, I want to get your thoughts on um, what will – what teams do you think – I want you to give me your top four seeds in the East and West for next year and kind of give me – and give me a prediction for uh, where you think Kawhi is going. Um, well, I'll just start with my Kawhi prediction. I think he's going back to the Raptors. I think he has – I think just he won a championship there. He wants to see what he can build. And – I just think it would kind of – he's definitely – out of every player in the NBA, he probably cares about his legacy the least. But I yeah, think it yeah. would diminish his legacy if he goes to the Lakers because now he's just teaming up. Like he, he garnered a lot of respect leading the Raptors to that championship last year. And if he goes and teams up with two of the top five players in the NBA, I think that would kind of lose a little respect. Yeah, he, he, he kind of completely erased that kind of narrative of how he forced him his way out of San Antonio. Like, really, no one talks about that anymore because he was so exactly. Um, But top four seeds, I would probably go with the Bucks as the one seed, um, the Sixers as the two seed. The, if the Raptors get Kawhi back, I'd say they're the three seed. And four seed – Force is going to be a good mat, good race. It could end up being the Nets actually, because I think like I don't think that they will be that much better than last year roster wise. But uh, having Karis Levert for a whole year and he could definitely make a jump, as could Jared Allen, and obviously Kyrie is Kyrie, and I think Kyrie will also play better because I think he is a lot happier in Brooklyn. So I could definitely see them getting that four suit and in the west uh west is going to be really close um i would probably say the the warriors still keep the one seed because they still have a really 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 good team even though they lost kd uh assuming assuming are you assuming they keep uh d'lo or trade him um, I actually completely forgot about Tilo. Even honestly, I don't think that it would make that big of a di- of a difference because I think D- even though Clay is going to be out, they still built a really really good squad. So if you trade Tilo, you're getting a lot back for him. And if you keep him, him paired up with Curry is going to be that that's going to be a great scoring backcourt. So I would still put them at the one seed. They still have great depth too. Um. Two seed, I would go with the Blazers because I think they really built a really good squad in Portland. And, I mean, they were they were like the th- two or three seed this year, right? Yeah, yeah, they were the three this year. 
Then three seed, I would say the Lakers, just because, I mean, LeBron and um, AD, even even though they're going to have no one around them, those two are going to win a lot of basketball games. And then four seed, I would probably go with the Jazz because that they they also have built uh, the top to bottom. That team is really good. Yeah, yeah, the, they've had a terrific offseason. Adding uh, Conley, uh, adding um, Bogdanovich. Uh, there was one other acqu- acquisition that, that I really liked. Here. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, I think I think those are. Uh, Warriors, Blazers, uh, Lakers, and Jazz. I feel like that's a reasonable top four. Um, I'm kind of with you. The longer Kawhi drags this out, uh, the more convinced I am that I think I think he'll re-up with Toronto. Now, the long-term feasibility of Toronto as a contender, I'm not sure about because uh, that team is going to get very expensive very quickly. Lowry's a free agent next year. Siakam's an RFA next year, and he's probably in line for a huge extension the way he played during the finals. But I, th- I think that uh, Kawhi going back to the Raptors, I think that's the if, – if you were – if I if I were to put up percentages on it, I would say 50 Raptors, 35 Lakers, 15 Clippers. If I had to just kind of spitballing right now. And – I, I think that would put Toronto, I think, similar to last year. I, I think it would be uh, Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia. And at four, I think I would put I w- either the Nets or Pacers. I'm kind of leaning toward the Pacers. I really like what they built. Uh, if Oladipo comes back healthy, I think him and Brogdon and Turner, and I think that, that they can put together a nice regular season and potentially a decent playoff run. And in the West, uh, I'm gonna, I'm putting uh, Denver as the number one seed. I really believe in the Nuggets. Denver, I think yeah, I completely blanked on them because they should definitely be in the top four. I'm, I definitely blanked on them, but yeah. Yeah, they're uh, Jokic and uh, Murray are. I, I think uh, both of the, both of them are. I think they're gonna assert themselves next year, both as top twenty players in the NBA. I think Murray could win a most improved next year and potentially contend for an all-star spot. So I'll put them at number one. I'll put the Lakers at number two, because as you said, LeBron and AD are going to win a lot of basketball games. Uh, If they get Kawhi, he's probably going to win some games too. And at three, I will put, yeah, I'll put Portland at three, Uh, Lillard and McCollum. They really show what they're capable of this year. Now you now you add a white side to the fold. I think he could be a good piece for them, along with Nurkic, back after his injury. And four, I think I'll go with Utah, and then I'll put Golden State fifth. I'll I'll just throw throw in next at sixth. I'll throw uh, Oklahoma City, and I I think that's how the West shapes up. It's 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 really interesting because. Couldn't couldn't you see like twelve or thirteen teams in the NBA Finals this year? Yeah, that, especially with the I I do still believe in the Warriors as a contender, but it breaking them up and Clay being out for the the majority of next season, it really just get I, that that that's the main reason I hope Kawhi doesn't go to Lakers because that would take away the parity that 
breaking up the Warriors gave us. So, like, if you because of what you said, like twelve or thirteen teams can make the finals. There's a lot of teams that are real. Hello. Patrick? Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, Should I just keep going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now I was saying, like, the first round of the playoff series in the West are not no longer going to be just absolute blowouts because even the Pelicans have put together a team that can compete with the Nuggets or the Warriors or the Blazers. Like, like, there's a lot of teams out there that can do real damage against – the, even the top teams. So I think next year is going to be a very fun year of basketball, especially compared to years past where it's just been Warriors, Warriors. Yep, I 100% agree. I think that, uh, like, even teams like, like, uh, like I said, Oklahoma City, Houston have a shot. Like, all these teams that only had outside shots in the past, like Utah, Denver, Portland, they're going to be right in the thick of things, and it's going to be a very fun season. And that kind of reminds me of, and watch this segue, uh, that kind of reminds me of Major League Baseball, where it seems like half the league has a chance to win every year, and often somebody comes out of nowhere. And you are a huge Yankees fan, uh, obviously. The only one I can say I'm proud of. (laughs) Yes. And the Yankees, as I'm – as it is right now, they are fifty-six and twenty-nine. And now, what? Now, if I would have told you that they, before the season that the Yankees are fifty-six and twenty-nine, Aaron Judge and Juan Carlos Stanton at the All-Star break have only been at the plate one hundred sixty-eight times between them. Um, what would your reaction have been, and how amazing has this season been? Um, well, my reaction probably would have been. I knew Gary Sanchez would have a good year. <laughs> um, but this season this season has really just been remarkable because if you look back and like by now, I think this whole like Yankees injury thing has kind of cleared up because while they're still missing Severino and Batanzas and they just lost Stan for another month, which sucks. Yeah, um, they – Oh, yeah, and Voight, yeah, but Voight's still like he'll miss a week, but I think he'll be back soon. Yeah, um, it's kind of it, it's kind of cleared up. But when it what it was back in like mid or mid to late April and early May was insane. Like they the lineup that they put together was just not yeah. something that you would have ever thought would be the New York Yankee lineup and, and on May 3rd entering this year. And I give so much credit to Aaron Boone. And I, I am one a person who thinks that managers of baseball teams get overrated the effect they have on the game. But I give so much credit to what Aaron Boone has just done, not letting the clubhouse just lose morale and just keeping everyone up and just fruit to, like – putting together a team led by Gio Urshela and DJ LeMayhew that is that dominated in May. And now that you're back to full strength, this team is just 
the, the lineup they put together, especially when Stanton's healthy, is one of the best that's ever been assembled, in my opinion. Yeah, what's the the death lineup is Sanchez, Voight, Lemayu. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Gregorius. Uh, Torres at second, Lemayu at third. Lemayu at third. Who's that short? Why am I blanking? A short? Yeah. Short is Gregorius. Okay. No, you said Gregorius at second. Uh, uh, Torres at second. Torres at second. Oh, I, I misheard. Uh, Edwin DHing and then outfield Hicks, Judge, and Stanton. That's a, that might that's uh one of the best hitting lineups of this decade, I think. Definitely. I mean, if you you can just, you just compare it to all these all time lineups, and uh, and th- they're not anything until they win. But you compare it to like some of the best lineups ever, and it's just as good, as, if not better, talent wise on paper. And yeah. there's, a reason, there's a reason you play the games, but I mean, every single besides LeMayhew, everybody's a threat to go deep on you. Yeah. And LeMayhew, LeMayhew has been unbelievable this year. Yeah. Uh, LeMayhew hasn't, he's uh, the Yankees leader in war so far this year with 3.9. Uh, how big, how big has he been as a free agent pickup? After the Yankees missed on uh, Harper and Machado, um, that it, it kind of seemed like they were settling at first for Lemayu and a couple other guys, but he's just been huge. Uh, one of the top ten-ish, top maybe top five players in the league. Yeah, he has been. Um, it's you can't say enough about how big he's been to this team because you know while while the team as a whole has just gone down with injuries and injuries and entering the year, even LeMahieu, you're looking how he's going to get playing time because Troy Tulowitzki was supposed to be the Yankees everyday shortstop. And that kind of went by (laughs) quickly. Uh, I mean, just at the top of the lineup and he, it's amazing because like what I know that it's statistically proven that runners in scoring position stats are complete are random and you know you yeah. they actually even out. But this year it's insane because every time he comes up with runners in scoring position, he gets a hit. And like I keep telling myself like it's like you know it's not real. It's just <laughs> it, it'll even help. But he you can't say enough about what he's done. Just keep, when they lost Judge. All I was hoping was just stay afloat, like stay 500 over the next few few weeks until you get the guys back. And, I mean, led by LeMahieu, the team has done way more than that. Now they're, what, like, I want to say five and a half games up on the Raiders, six and a half. Yeah, and, and they're – go ahead. And it's just been insane. And what LeMahieu has done, not – I mean, he's been – a gold glove level fielder, which we knew we were getting, but it's not just the hitting like 345. He's also had pop this year, which you don't usually see from him. I think he has like 11 home runs or so this year. 12 home runs. How many home runs? 12 home runs, 526 slow game percentage. Very solid. Yeah, and you just – I definitely wasn't expecting that because – you know, if you look into the season, LeMahieu's your nine hitter. And that's not a knock on LeMahieu. 
that's just how deep the lineup is from top to bottom. Yeah. But, I mean, at this point, he's been the best player on the team this year, and by far. Yeah. What's a real, what's a really shocked me about, you know, before the season, I, although I don't think I ever, like, put it out there, I, I said to – I think I said to my, my dad, I said that I thought the Yankees would win the World Series, and I, I think I had the Cubs coming out of the National League. But I didn't expect New York to just – they've blown the Red Sox out of the water this year. They're like 10, 11, 12 games clear of Boston. I don't have the standings right in front of me. But they've just kind of, they've just kind of gone in the tube, and it's kind of the reverse of last year when the Red Sox ran away and then dusted the Yankees in the playoffs. Uh, where do you think things have gone wrong for the Red Sox this year? You know, I, I think it's kind of just been – for the Sox, it's everything that was going right last year has gone wrong this year. Like, like even Sale, who has had a really, really good year, but they're just he just there's just I don't know what it is because he's striking the same guys out as last year. He's not his hard hit percentage. I think is near what it was last year. It's just been he's just allowing a couple more runs. And that has been the difference in games. And, you know, for the Sox, I think last year they knew they didn't have a bullpen. And they still won the World Series because they went to starters out of the bullpen in the playoffs. And then over the offseason, they completely declined to address the bullpen. Yeah. And, you know, they, they didn't throw any money at Kimbrell. And what that did – was they've blown, I think, 19 saves this year or so, something like that. And yeah. when that's right. – yeah, when, when you're blowing – when you can't trust your bullpen with the lead, it's – it's not – it's obviously not good. And when you look at the difference in the Yankees and Red Sox roster, the Yankees have prided themselves the, on building a great bullpen. The super bullpen, probably one of the top – probably a top five bullpen all time. Yeah. And they've just kind of made it up. They made it a priority over the past few years, signing Chapman, signing Britain, and getting all these guys who can come out and do damage late in postseason games. And that, that's what killed the, that's what killed my team, the Indians in the 2017 playoffs is uh, the, all these they, like one reliever would leave and another all-star caliber reliever would come in and the Red, the Red Sox have kind of patched up their bullpen with by kind by committee and nobody's really stood out. And I think that's been the biggest difference uh, so far this year. And the last thing I want to hit with the Yankees is what, what do you think are, what do you think is their biggest need at the deadline and what players do you have in mind to on the trade market? Um, well, they definitely don't need, they definitely don't need a bat. That's, that's easy. That but, much is clear. Yeah, but I would pro, I mean, it's obviously starting pitching for me because you don't know if you get Severino back this year. Paxton has pitched better than his stats are showing, but he still has not really been exactly as advertised. Tanaka has always been inconsistent, although he's having a pretty good year and had a nice start today. Um, and then Hap has 
really struggled, and CC can't go past five or six innings. So they definitely need another starter because you don't – especially you really – you need another starter because if you don't get Severino back, you need Hap yes. and Severino because Herman is probably not pitching in the playoffs with his innings limit. So you need Hap and CC pitching in the playoffs, which which is not a recipe for success. And then even if Severino comes back, you don't want CC or Hap pitching in your game four. So if you go and get – I would like them to get two starters and they have the depth in the minor leagues to get one, to get two, I mean. And I would definitely want them to really decrease their – um, they're asking price, but I still think Madison Bumgarner would be a good option because, I mean, he, his playoff stats are still undeniable, and he has definitely struggled. And I wouldn't pay what the Giants are asking right now, which what you would pay for an ace. But I, I would still give up – I'd probably give up like Clint Frazier for him because I still think – even if he's just your game four starter, that's still a very good add. And then I would like, I mean, this is obviously, I would like it to happen, but I would like the Yankees to go after an ace caliber pitcher. Like, I mean, Max Scherzer, I've seen it all over Twitter that the Yankees should go after Scherzer, but that's not happening since the Nationals will not trade him. They'd be dumb too. And they've heated up recently, kind of putting putting those rumors to bed. Yeah, for sure. And then, but I still, I think I really would like Trevor Bauer. I think he would be a great addition to the team. Um, and then I, I saw one rumor that saw the Yankees interested in Luis Castillo in Cincinnati, but I would be surprised if they move him. So I, but the two guys I would really like the Yankees to go after would be Bauer or Matthew Boyd in Detroit, because I think Boyd would be a very, very strong, uh, I think his lefty – he's a lefty, he's a strikeout pitcher, and I think he would fit very well with the Yankees. Although that asking price – as for Bauer too, both of those asking prices are going to be pretty high. I would still like to see the Yankees go after one. And I could even see the Yankees, if your Indians do elect to sell, I could see the Yankees going after – even Corey Kluber, who's been hurt and struggled a lot this year, they could still I could still see them going after him and just banking on the talent that he has. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm not sure if the if if the Indians do like fold it fold it up and I don't th- I don't think they will now because they've trimmed the twins lead to what six, six and a half. But yeah, I think that the Yankees would be served well by adding another arm, whether it's Bumgarner, uh, Boyd, uh, Marcus Stroman. Would that be something you'd be interested in? Uh, Stroman, sorry, Stroman. Um, he's had a great year and he's done very well against the Red Sox. So I would like to see that happen, but it's still a little iffy for me with the asking price because. They, yeah. He has a lot of control, and they're asking a lot for him, and it's in division. And he, this is the first year that he has really put his potential together in a while. So, um, I, I, but I will say his attitude in New York would just be perfect. Like he would fit so well in New York as a person. 
So I think he wants to be in New York, but uh, the Yankees shouldn't pay an ace price for a pitcher that I don't see pitching as an ace for you. And the other thing with me, and this is the stupidest thing you will probably ever hear in one of your podcasts, short pitchers at the deadline scare me because of Sonny Gray. Because of Sonny Gray? You have this phobia of short pitchers? Yeah, I mean, it was Justice Sheffield last year. I saw him pitch, and he's like 5'10", and now I'm scared. The Yankees have this top prospect in double-A, Davey Garcia, who's mowing down batters, but he's like 5'9", so I'm nervous. So you're worried they can't properly intimidate people at the plate? <laughs> yeah. People are going to be like, oh, he, he, he doesn't have the stuff. It's all good. Yeah, the, the, kind of the reverse of Andrew Miller. The exact reverse of Andrew Miller. Loved Andrew <laughs> Miller. Joe's <laughs> in New York. I loved him. Yeah, so we loved him too. I remember the day we got him. I was over on uh, what you call it, one of Lake Erie's islands, and uh, what you call it. I had a bad internet connection, and my dad and I we were frantically trying to see did the deal go through, and it did. And that was a deal. I, I I think I would make that again the way he pitched for us in that particular postseason. But yeah, the trade deadline. It's been so huge in recent years. I think Berlander going to Houston is the gold standard, at yeah, least this decade, for, sure. for trade deadline successes. Uh, there's been countless other ones. Uh, trying to think off the top of my head, Johnny Cueto to the Royals. That was an all. That was an all right one. Uh, Chapman yeah. to the Cubs, which I mean, I, I love that deal because Yankees got Torres and then got Chapman back. But if you're the Cubs, you would make that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Times. Because even though he blew game seven, which I'm sure is a touchy subject for you, uh, he, I mean, he was integral in that, integral in that uh, World Series, which obviously they kind of needed. Yeah, the, Indi- the Indians got Jay Bruce for like nothing two years ago from the Mets. That was oh, a- I hated Jay Bruce that year because he had that, that he's blew game two of the, of the ALDS and. I was there. I was down the third baseline. It was the probably the greatest sporting event I've ever seen in person. That and was awful. On honest answer, from from where it, from where I was standing, it looked like the ball hit Chisholm Hall. But I saw the replay during the commercial break, and I'm like, "Whoa, we got a we we dodged a bullet there." Yeah. That was the end of the Girardi era in the Bronx. So. I want to pivot back to uh, winter time in, in regard to sports in New York. So not only are the Knicks starting to make some semblance of moves toward contention again, the Rangers have I'm, – I'm not a gigantic hockey fan, almost probably because Cleveland doesn't have a team, although I root for the Blue Jackets a little bit. But it looks like the, the Rangers have just kind of hit this season, hit, hit this offseason out of the park with their signings. Can you – can you kind of elaborate upon that? Yeah, um, I wouldn't call myself – I'm a big Rangers guy, but as a whole in the NHL, I'm not nearly as knowledgeable as I am on the other three sports. But um, from everything I've seen the Rangers do and all the numerous articles I've read about these guys they've gotten, they have really had some offseason because it all started – the trade deadline of 2000 and 
2018 or early 2018 was, and the Rangers announced that they were going to tear it down and go to a rebuild. And Jeff Gordon has just done amazing with that. And what he's rebuilt this, um, this Rangers farm system into already was giving Rangers fans hope entering this year. So they, they, they signed, uh, I, I'm sure I can't pronounce some of these guys' names. Vitaly Kravtsov, who was their first round pick last year, who they have a lot of hope for. Uh, yeah. Yorkin, who is supposed to be the heir to Henrik Lundqvist once he calls it quits. And then they, they have just pushed all the right buttons this offseason. They started it by acquiring Adam Fox from Carolina, another young kid who is supposed to really – I mean, the, the Rangers' defense has been – so bad over the past while. Like, yeah. that's probably been their biggest thing. And the big, one of the biggest reasons they never won a cup was because they could never pair someone with Ryan McDonough. And what the Rangers have built now is you get Fox. They acquired Jacob Trauba, who is one of the best young defensemen in hockey. So the two of them already as a pairing. And then Brady Shea on the second line is already such a better defense than they've had in a while. And then on the forwards, they've just been unbelievable this offseason. They got lucky in the lottery and were able to draft Capo Caco, who, A, whose name I absolutely love <laughs> because that is just such a terrific, good name. Terrific name. That, that name will sell a, a million jerseys alone. Oh, yeah. Just Kako. But uh, it's not just Kako because they also well, – well, I'll just talk a little more about Kako. Kako, I don't know if you saw the world championships in hockey. I but saw he, a little bit. But he but, was kind of – he was he reminded me, like hearing about it, it reminded me of Luka Doncic kind of taking everybody in the Euro basket. Yeah. And this yeah, is I – mean, like when, when I saw it, him like dominating all this. I assumed it was juniors, but it was like the, it was the world championships. And he, I think he did win the most valuable player. Although I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure about that. I'm pretty sure he did because Finland ended up with him leading them, winning the whole thing. And I mean, and I think that really got Rangers fans very excited for him because he just looked, uh, he was unstoppable. He, I, he, what I said was he is the best player the Rangers have had in probably 15 or so. In, that I can remember he is the best player the Rangers have had. That's yeah. what I said when we drafted him, and that's, that's why I obviously hope will come to fruition. But then the Rangers hit the free agency jackpot by signing Artemi I, – I keep mentioning his name – Panarin. Panarin. It, it's like Panera, hence his yeah, nickname. The brother. The brother. He is, I'm sure if you're, you you following the Blue Jackets would know, he is just unbelievable. Like, he is one of the best players in hockey. And I, I don't know a ton, but I know enough to know that he was a stud down there this year. Yeah, him paired with Kako and Mika Zibanejad, who had a breakout, I mean, I wouldn't say breakout year, but he really showed that he can be a 
first line center. The three of them paired on that first line is going to be so fun to watch this year. And while there's definitely, while I think I'm a little too excited right now for the Rangers because they have, um, because for as good as they have been this offseason, their depth is definitely lacking, especially at the center position. But this is going to be a very fun year just to watch the Rangers, mainly, I think, because expectations are a little lower right now. They're not expected to be cup contenders. They're expected to maybe get a playoff spot. So I think – and that's always the most fun kind of teams. Like that was the – 2017 Yankees, those teams that just surprise everyone. Yeah. Like so they year, can, ahead, year ahead of schedule kind of teams. Yeah. The, the, what, this wasn't supposed to happen this year kind of thing. And that could definitely be this year's Rangers. So I am very excited for the upcoming year. And I think that the Garden's definitely going to be jumping this year. I think that there's more hope for the Rangers now than there has been in so long for the future. Because even when they won the President's Trophy, they still were built on a lot of older guys. So them acknowledging that they need to rebuild and building through the draft and building this farm system into a really, really strong one. And now all these guys are coming to the league. And this is going to be a very, very fun year, in my opinion, to be a Ranger fan. Yeah. So I I don't want to say – I don't want to kind of I don't want to insinuate that the Knicks and Rangers have like lost a generation of fans because they're both they both are extremely well supported teams. But the I feel like the fans today don't really have that familiarity with uh, the kind of the winning culture of the 90s when the Knicks were when the Knicks had Oakley, Starks, Ewing, and when the Rangers were winning with Messier and Brian Leach and those guys. But uh, do you think that? Now that R.J. Barrett is in town and Capo Caco is now there, do you think that they can? Do you think there might be this kind of renaissance at Madison Square Garden that those two guys can provide? Do you think that they can help get fans back to believing? Um, well, I would definitely agree with you about the Knicks and not having a culture of winning because I remember one successful Knicks team in my entire life. Because they won one playoff series, and that, and I mean, as it, 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 you don't know what you don't really know what it's like winning for my generation of Nick fans, but for Ranger fans, even though they never brought a cup home, they were a great team for yeah, a long time. 14, 14 so they, right yeah, yeah, they made the cup one year. They should have made the cup a few other years. They were a really, really good team, and so I think that. There's still a culture of winning, in my opinion. When I, like when I look at the Knicks logo, I don't even, I can't comprehend that team hoisting the um, O'Brien Trophy. But when I look at the Rangers logo, I do think of winning. I, I, that, I think they've bought a winning culture. But I definitely, like I said before, I think the future is so bright for Ranger fans that I re- I think that they can find a way to. I think that they could actually bring a cup to Hank over the, one of these next two years because I think Hank has two years left on his deal, 
and every single Ranger fan in the world want in the country wants uh, Hank to be able to hoist that cup. So I definitely think there's a lot of hope for Ranger fans. For Nick fans, um, I really, really love RJ Barrett. I think his personality and his talent is through the roof. And I, I didn't like him that much in college, but as I look at him more, I've seen what people have been saying. I think he can be a really – I think he can be one of the, the – I think he can be the best player on the Knicks, including Melo, actually, in years. Because I think he can be a more of a two-way player than Melo because Melo was really just, just scoring. Uh-huh. Um, as in terms of hope for the future, I have I do have some hope that the Rangers will I mean that the Knicks will be pretty bad over these next couple of years, so they will probably um, get, yeah they'll be able to add a couple more young pieces to the team, and then. Like, like the Knicks will be a much more flattering free agent destination, in my opinion, in 2021 or is it yeah, 2021, yeah, which is another great class. And I mean, they're not going to get anyone because they're the Knicks and we will never be good. But it's definitely more, I think there's more hope for the Knicks' future, even without Katie and Kyrie, than there was when Phil Jackson uh, was fired. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the I feel like the Knicks they at least have kind of they're they're get, getting a direction together in terms of like where they're going. Yeah, for sure because yeah, definitely because like I said earlier, um once Phil Jackson was gone cuz when Phil Jackson took over, that's probably the most disappointing time of my life as a Knicks fan including this KD thing because that was the Zen master, and he was supposed to be the savior. Yes, and he's coming home. He played for the Knicks. He's coming home to New York. He was like he was really just supposed to completely change his franchise. And his problem, which has been the Knicks' problem as a franchise for so many years, was that he didn't acknowledge that the team at that time was not built to win. And he tried to force guys onto the roster like Courtney Lee, and Joakim Noah, and I mean that Joakim Noah contract is just oh it's ungodly. And, yeah, and just guys that didn't belong on uh, that, that didn't belong on this team's future. So if he had acknowledged a rebuild and done it well, it the Knicks would be in a better position now. And the other thing that doomed the Knicks was. Um, the Carmelo Anthony trade. And I have so much more respect for Melo for taking on New York, but they could have gotten him in that offseason, but they gave up the entire future for him. So I think that doomed the Knicks' future, and that didn't – and just gave up so many first-round picks. And I, you, you're, you mentioned Jamal Murray. I, I believe that he was the, – the Knicks' pick was used to draft him. So there's a lot of – there's just a lot of things that the Knicks have done wrong. But like you said, they finally have a path and a direction because they acknowledge the rebuild. So now they are – then they're not tanking, and they're obviously not tanking because they got some – 
they gave some solid players some good deals. And Randall, I liked the Randall deal a lot. I love the Randall deal. I think Randall's going to be a huge add addition to this team. And plus with Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett, and then you add two years' worth of pretty high draft picks, the Knicks are going to have a pretty good core entering that 2020, 2021 free agency. And, I, and they also have two of the Mavericks draft picks, I think one in 2021 and another in 2023. And that 2023 is the first draft, I think, that high school players will be eligible. So I think that the Knicks have way more hope than they've had in years past. But just losing KD and Kyrie just – I think it's hard right now for Knicks fans to see past losing KD and Kyrie. But, it will, but I still think that there is hope for the future. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, albeit a, albeit a small one. There is small light in a really long tunnel. Yes. Uh, 20, 20, 20-something year tunnel. <laughs> uh, so before we go, I want to ask you, as this whole episode obviously has been dedicated to New York sports. I wanted to ask you as a kind of sage of New York and its teams, in your opinion – uh, what is the best New York sports team of all time, and what is the most culturally significant New York sports team of all time? Oof. It's a loaded question. Um, best, I would, I would definitely say is either the '98 Yankees or the '27 Yankees, because those are considered probably the two best baseball baseball teams of all time. Maybe the '01 Mariners are in that conversation as well. Uh, I would say 98 Yankees were better, though, because I, I think that team is the best baseball team ever assembled because that, that team has, like, that has one of the best lineups of all time, and that pitching staff was ridiculous, plus Mo at the back end. And yep. it upsets me that I was not alive to watch that, but I think that that is definitely the best New York team of all time. And the most culturally influential, I think that there have been, been, I don't think there have been any team that was like the Cavs back in 2016, right? When the, you guys yeah. won it. Yeah. I think there hasn't been a team like that. But I think like the 69 Mets, the 69 Jets were both big. Um, the 55 Dodgers were huge. But I think oh. the biggest would actually be a team that didn't win the championship, which was the 2001 Yankees. Because, you know, after – 9-11 and what the city as a whole had gone through to just be able to rally behind the team. And really the entire country for the first time was rallying behind the Yankees. So I think um, what that team meant to the city and even though they didn't win the, they didn't win the world series, they had already won three in a row and the Mr. November game was just amazing so I think that team as, as a whole of what it meant for the culture of the city, and even though they didn't win a championship, just letting the city forget about the tragedy for a moment and just focus on sports, just like the city of Houston did after, the, after Hurricane Harvey and, and in 2013 Boston did after the Boston bombings, I think was really huge. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't even think about the fifty five Dodgers until you brought them up. But yeah, that's a good one. 
uh, a couple few that came to mind. I think those are the ones I mentioned to you. Uh, the 1970 Knicks with the Willis Reed team, with the Walt Clyde Frazier, Earl the Pearl Monroe. It was kind of this, it was kind of unique in that they had this cast of unlike characters coming together, like a Bill Bradley, Princeton education. He went on, obviously, to become a senator and run for president. Earl the Pearl Monroe, uh, he grew up in poverty, and I think, I forget, it's escaping me right now, but I know he went to an HBCU, and the, the, this kind of coming together of different ethnicities, different backgrounds to help deliver a championship to New York, um, I feel like that was important. Uh, the 86 Mets had a lot of cultural resonance just for the kind of the sheer drama of their win and from the, their 16-inning victory over the Astros in the NLCS to their uh, theatrical comeback in Game 6. to They also came back to win Game 7 after being down 3 nothing early. So, so just that all the way through, uh, an incredible team with Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Mookie Wilson, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter, those guys. And then, and as we were talking a little bit about um, Mark Messier and uh, Brian Leach and the 94 Rangers, and I feel like that's one of the best postseasons of all time in any sport, the 94 NHL playoffs with uh, Messier guaranteeing that the Rangers would win game six and then uh, much, what you call it, Mateau winning it in a double overtime in game seven, and then a dramatic series against Vancouver. And that delivered the Rangers their first title in 54 years. Yeah, I think all of those are definitely good. And that Ranger team, um, I mean, I find that, I mean, that is the one team you mentioned, plus the Knicks, obviously, but that I am a fan of. So, And I was watching something on that Ranger team, and – just for Messi, a guarantee a win. And I believe he had a hat trick in that game six. Is just remarkable. And then obviously the Mateau game was amazing. So I do think that, I mean, for the Rangers, that was their first win. Like, I think the next Nick championship, if it ever comes, will mean more than the 71. Because that 1970, I mean, you're, you're right from a cultural perspective, but for the city, like, the 1971 yeah. wasn't really a drought. Like the 94 Rangers ended a drought. Like the, I, yeah. I think it was about 50 something years since the last one. 54 years. Yeah. So, I mean, what that, I think what that meant was so big. And that's why I think, I think those drought enders are the biggest. I think for a team like, like you, like your, your Cavs or obviously the 27, 20, uh, 2016 Cubs that just ended these insane droughts that you can't fathom. So I think for the, the those are the ones that mean the most. But from a cultural cultural perspective, I think you are right about those Knicks because just as a city and obviously coming right off of the civil rights movement, I think you, you have a very good point there. Yeah, I've been on – well, my teams obviously have been on both sides of drought-ending uh, wins, and it, it feels incredible when, when when you end a drought in the fashion that the Cavs did, coming back down from 3-1, getting uh, one of the great athletic performances of the, this century, I think, from LeBron James. Uh, it, it was something else, and I feel like 
uh, when that day comes for the Knicks and the Rangers. Even the, even the Yankees haven't. I mean, it's it's kind of sacrilege. It's a drought for us. Ten years of drought. I mean, I feel like that if when when they get their next title, whether it's this year, next year, the year after, whenever, I feel like there'll be a big celebration because it it's kind of it's kind of funny. New York really they don't have a title since. 2011 the Giants and for a such such a big city that's kind of like a lifetime but I feel like New York they're they're waiting to have a party and I feel like they'll get one pretty soon uh for me I I only remember that Giants team you just mentioned I don't really I was six when the uh Yankees won in 09 so it was it's definitely I've been wanting to go to a World Series parade for a very long time and I really hope I finally get my – not even a World Series, just a championship parade. I thought I was I had a chance of getting one with the Rangers. I really, really hope, obviously, that I get one with the Yankees because this, this Yankee team I have more faith in than I've had in any team for a while. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right because just for the city of New York – and obviously they do have the other four teams, but especially like Manhattan – and the Jets are still pretty big, but the Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, or Giants, but especially those first three, I think, if any – when one of them wins the championship, it will be just the, – the celebration will be insane for the city of New York. And um, I think you're right about the Yankees, and that, that – it's it seems weird to call 10 years a drought, but that's a drought, and for, to not – if the Yankees don't make the World Series this year, it'll be the first decade they didn't make it since nine, the 1910s. 10s, right? Yeah. Which is, which speaks to how historic the franchise is. But plus, I mean, Yankee fans are spoiled. And I don't think I'm spoiled because, I mean, I mean I'm spoiled in that I've never seen the Yankees have a losing team, which is insane. Like, in my entire lifetime, they've never had a losing team. That's, that's crazy. But... I don't. I'm not as spoiled as like my dad, who has who w- lived through that '90s team. And you know, if Yankees never won a World Series, he'd be disappointed. But he had those. Like, I need a Yankee <laughs> World Series. Yes, it's it's kind of funny. My dad never saw the Indians in the playoffs until he was 32 years old, and. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. He calls me spoiled because I've grown up with the 07 team that got to the doorstep of the World Series and the 16 team that won the pennant. And where, whereas it's the other way around where my dad, uh, I mean, he was one year old when they did it, but he's at least, the Browns have at least won a title in his lifetime. And he, he remembers when there were heyday in the late 80s when they made it to two AFC title games. But it's 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 just kind of funny. How like kind of gener- from generation to generation, te- views of teams are skewed like that. But yeah, I feel like the the Yankee, like the Yankees, they're they're the Yankees are probably the I would I would call them the most recognizable American professional sports team. And when they win a championship, there will be it will be a momentous occasion. Uh, do I want that to happen? No, because I cannot stand the New York Yankees. Because as uh, anyone living west of 
Yonkers uh, cannot, but I feel like that I feel like that it will be a culturally significant moment uh, when they bring a title to the Bronx. I mean, I'm on the opposite side. I am east of Yon- of Yonkers, so you know, <laughs> I would definitely like to see that happen a little bit more than you. Yes. Well, Adam, thank you for coming on tonight. This was awesome. Of course, man. Anytime. All right. Um, so, to, uh, well, we're gonna. T- I'm gonna take a break from this podcast. Uh, July 21st is gonna be my next episode, and we are gonna have at MLB Random Stats himself, Jeremy Frank, will be on here on July 21st, and that episode Good will come out 16 days from now. Uh, Adam, thank you again. Of course. And uh, to all of you listening, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, ten, episode, 10 episodes now. We're doing this every week. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. And I wish everyone a good holiday weekend.